Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about iteration. We're talking about how to iterate and make your game better as you try to, to get to the finish line, try to get to that completed game. We're talking to Kirk Dennison from Peacekeeper Games. Kirk, welcome to the show. Hi, Gabe. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, it's great to have you. Uh, you know, we got to hang out a little bit at Origins back over the summer, and so it's good to, good to talk to you again, man. That was great. Yeah, I was glad we could play a couple games and get to know each other better. Yeah, for sure. And I'm excited about some of the things you got going on. Uh, and I'm excited to talk to you today about iterating. Uh, this is something where, you know, you and I both feel like a lot of people struggle with iterating and, and going from version one to version two or 2.5 or whatever it is. And so I'm excited to kind of get to talking to you about that today. But first, give me your bio. You know, people never heard of you, never heard of Peacekeeper Games. Tell me who you are, how you got into games, all that good stuff. Sure. So I'm a lifelong gamer. I think similar to many game designers and a more recent convert into the world of designing and publishing games. I played a lot of CCGs back in the day and then I switched more into board gaming back in 2012. And then in 2015, I decided to make my first game. I thought of a game idea that didn't exist and decided, Hey, I'm going to just make this. And I knew nothing about game design or, Game publishing ended up self-publishing that title, Flag Dash, and now we're working on several other titles for our brand. Yeah, very cool, man. And so that self-published game kind of became a publishing company, right? Because did you, you know, at the beginning, did you think, "Hey, I'm going to start a company and publish other people's games," or are you just trying to do it for yourself? I just decided I was going to make a game, and I didn't know much beyond that. And it became pretty clear that I had. A better chance of making it what I wanted to do it if I self-published it versus licensing it or signing it with a different company. And I just decided to give it a go and make it my own thing. Started our company. And then shortly after I released our first game, then realized I should start looking for other games. So we have some games that are signed from other designers and then also some other games of my design. Very cool, man. And I know Flag Dash, that was one that the Dice Tower, they were those guys over there were a big fan of, and I know you got some some good press from them. That's the first time I ever heard of you or your game is actually from a, a Dice Tower review. And so uh, that's really cool. And, and, you know, a couple years later, you got some more games coming down the pipe, which is really awesome. But today we're talking about iteration. And so let's just start off, Kurt, give me your definition. What's a good definition of iterating? Because there's some people that never heard of this term that, you know, they're making games and you know, you say iterate and you're like, what do you, that, that's, is that Latin? What, what does that mean? And so sure. define iterating. Simple terms. I think of iterating as just doing things in cycles. And this comes from my background working for my day job in programming and software development it's very common in the software development world that you do iterative development on your software where you do a batch of development and then you do a lot of user testing and then you write down any bugs and things that need to be fixed and you go back and add on to things after that and keep going through testing, seeing what's broken and comparing it against things. And there's other terms like regression testing that come into play, but a lot of these same terms and concepts apply well to the development of anything with a lot of moving parts. And so that's why it works well in the board game design scene. 
Yeah, and so kind of give me the the flow chart of where iteration would fit in as somebody's working on a game. Like what what would be those steps and where would iteration fit in? Sure. So generally you start coming to terms with whatever your game concept is and it's more of a nebulous stage until you have something that's defined and then at the point when you've defined your first playable version i would generally say you would want to consider doing your different iterations from that point forward so until you have something that's in a playable state you're still in very very early stages but once you have something that's playable then you have something that you can document as saying this was point a version 1.0 i have something that is concrete that i can look back to and i can compare on future versions to what worked what didn't work and you can always rewind and try things from your first version again so once you get to the the very first playable version that's your you might not even call it 1.0 if you're not very confident but whatever your very first version is then when you get to make changes then you, you call it something else and then you make changes and call it something else that's the general process of iteration gotcha so you got to have something you can put on a table or, or at least a digital table something that you can move around and test in some form or fashion and then you can iterate and so i mean people struggle with this well i think people first of all struggle with getting an idea to the table actually creating a prototype that is a huge undertaking and anytime somebody gets that done just going from idea to actual pieces on a table i congratulate them i say well done because you have taken a huge step and you got a long way to go for sure, but that is a, a gigantic uh, chasm that you have crossed to get to that first prototype. But what do you think are the biggest challenges that you see uh, other designers having or that you have in that iteration process? What are the, what are the hardest obstacles? It's a great question. So I'm going to assume that beyond the basic obstacles of just getting started. So like you mentioned, the challenges of having a playable game. And I, I would say that you don't need to focus too much on it looking pretty. Just put something on the table. Take index cards, cut them up, write a few quick words, grab pawns from another game that's easily accessible and have a general concept of what the rules are, and that can be your first version. But beyond that, I think the main challenges with iteration come to a cost-benefit analysis of how much time is worth spending on updating the graphics or wording, and simultaneously how much time is spent worth focusing on honing the rules. So those are two of the elements that I think are a, a big challenge is if you know you're still in an early stage of the game development, how much time do you really want to put into making something look functional when you're just going to change and destroy and add new things where you'll have to go back and, and recreate the assets anyways. So that can be a, a mental struggle of knowing I have a bunch of dead time that I'm creating by building something that I'm just going to destroy half of later. So that's the fine balance of figuring out what's how to be efficient. And I think that's why this process can be a little daunting for people sometimes. Yeah, you know, that's something I struggled with, especially early on. I would spend so much time on Google Images trying to find just the right picture to put on this random card, and it wasn't even going to matter. But and, and what's crazy, I felt like I was designing. I felt like I was doing something productive, and the truth was I was just being busy. And being busy is very different from being productive. And so what are, what are some other things you think people you know really struggle with? What are some of the other challenges, uh, more than just like wasting time? Because one thing I'm really struggling with right now is and maybe you give me some advice and personal advice is going from you know 1.0 to 
two or you know like it's not is is enough of a change. We we'll even say one point to two point but really struggling with like okay, this mechanism's not working. But what mechanisms is going to work? How do I figure this out? How do I fix this? So any advice to somebody struggling with, you know, mechanics problems of trying to go from one iteration to the next? Sure. This is a the million-dollar question that I don't think many designers will have a perfect answer for this. But I think you need to have a, a self-evaluation after most play tests, especially early on, to decide what is working, what is not working, what is fun, what is not fun, and really be willing to throw away anything and everything that really isn't working or really isn't fun. And that can be really challenging as a designer, especially if you really liked the idea to rinse and repeat and get rid of so much early on is your best time to really try different things. Cause if you get too far into developing a game, you're going to become attached to how the game is working and you'll be resistant to make wholesale changes. So the early stages are the best time to try out a brand new mechanic or play with one of your favorite games and try to implement something that you liked in that game in your game. One of the easier ways to, not get lost in the weeds though is to create a wish list of sorts for your game design of what you want the game to become and then you can fill in the cracks with everything else so this is usually best done when you have other people that are asking you well what is your main design objective and i'm guilty of this as anyone is i can just go on a tangent but if i have a designer friend that plays the game and early on they politely try to direct the attention to the, the core of the matter is they'll say, well, what's your design objective? Are you, are you looking to go for a certain feel? Are you looking to go for a certain mechanic? What do you want to highlight? And then you can focus on what is less necessary. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good advice, making that list and saying, what experience am I trying to accomplish? And then, because then that can give you some direction as far as, okay, what mechanisms should I try? What leads to that experience? I have a friend that's working on a pirate game right now, and yesterday we were doing some playtesting, and it's early stage, and so the game does not work. Like, it's just, you know, it's, <laughs> it's okay, it's a game. It's something that, you know, it's got some fun elements. But we, we played for about 20 minutes, and we stepped back and said, okay, what is the best part? And the best part of the game is this really interesting prisoner's dilemma mechanism that the pirates, it's, it's semi-cooperative in that, you know, if you want to take down this big treasure uh, ship or you want to find the treasure on the, the island or whatever, you have to work together. But then at, when you find it, you, you have this prisoner's dilemma of, okay, am, are we going to negotiate? Or, you know, and it's that whole thing. Like, that's the game. All right, so that is the core. And so how do we point everything towards that? And so let's start cutting everything else out that takes away from that feeling and that uh, mechanism. And, and I think that's a lot of what iteration is, is like you said, getting trimming the fat and getting to the fun part. Like what is the most fun? And let's focus everything on that. And so any advice, do you have any advice to, to somebody who's really struggling with that as far as cutting the fat? Uh, you mentioned having a, a designer friend that can tell you just honestly, hey, uh, this needs to go. But any other advice as far as killing your darlings or getting, you know, when people tell you have no good baby, how do you deal with it? I, I usually have less in my designs to start with, so it, it, your mileage may vary when you have a lot of different parts. So I don't have a lot of game development examples where I've had way too many things going on. Usually it would be dropping one mechanic or one aspect of the game, but I have playtested a lot of other designers' games that are very ambitious. I use that word to say that it's not bad. There are some very ambitious games on the market that do extremely well, but it, it can be overwhelming 
and less productive to start with an ambitious design and to make it more ambitious as the game necessitates when you're going through your iterations and deciding that, oh, well, this game would really do well to have the side quest in the game, but don't put the side quest from day one, add it when you realize that that would be an awesome thing to add to the game later. So, but to ask your question of trimming the fat from the game, I generally look at two basic ways of looking at things. You look at utilization of mechanics and you look at experience. So there's, they don't necessarily line up, but sometimes they do. If someone is having fun doing something, that might be worth keeping at all costs, or at least for a while. The other thing is, if it's a mechanic that is being used a lot, you should look at that being used a lot doesn't mean you should keep it. But on the flip side, if you if it's not being used at all, maybe you should just drop the mechanic. Or if you really want that mechanic, you need to find a better way to make it more appealing or interesting for the players because they're not using it. So I've had some playtesters in recent times with one of our games say that this one aspect was not utilized they said just drop the element altogether and i was very hesitant to drop it but then i tried without that and the game ran smoother now maybe it does need it in some sort of revised form but don't be afraid to just cut out something that players aren't using and then figure out if the game needs something else to fill the void yeah for sure and one thing i've learned is if you want players to do something like for instance i've got a game where you get victory points at the end based on these sets that you collect but in earlier versions of the game, players, especially new players, didn't really think about, oh, I'm going to get some points later for this. They were just thinking, right here, right now, this is the card I need, and I don't care what set it's part of. And so right. they'd get to the end of the game, and they'd go, oh, this is garbage. I feel like I've got che- I feel like the game cheated me because I, I didn't really care. And so I had to find ways to incentivize the set collection and add a couple more things here and there to make players in the middle of the game want to do those things that were going to give them points in the end. Right? And I think that's something... To, to think through as well as if, if you want a certain behavior from your players then give them incentive to do that behavior or to, to play the game in a certain way. And that's, again, that goes back into iteration as you, as you iterate and you go, okay, what's working, what's not, and, and then try to figure it out from there. One thing for the listeners is I wouldn't get too hung up on the word iterate or iterative if it's, difficult for you to think about that. It's just your normal playtesting process. It's just a word that I am comfortable with using to explain the process of trying to get from version 1 to version 1.1. So if you hear us talking about that phrase, keep that in mind. It's not some sort of magical process. It's what you're already doing. This is just trying to help you be more efficient and effective in going from version to version. Yeah, this is really just the design word for that process. It's it's nothing, uh, like you said, it's nothing magical. And let's let's talk about something you, you, you mentioned just a moment ago, the difference between sculpting and painting. Now, you said you're more of a guy that starts with something small and then you add to it. That would be kind of the painting of something as you start with a blank canvas and you add layers as you go. I am a sculptor. I am a give me a giant hunk of granite and I will whittle it <laughs> down to something hopefully good. Like my games start off with way too much. I throw everything in and then we, we'll just see what works. And so that first play test is usually hateful because I'm trying figuring out like, oh, this is awful. Let's cut that out. Oh, that's terrible. Cut that out. Hey, this is fun. Let's keep that in. And so I think that's another thing. Do you have any uh, advice to somebody as far as uh, that goes? Because I think there's not a better way. It's, not, it's just different. And so any, no. any thoughts on that? <laughs> I think it's knowing your personality. I, I think that how you design often reflects on who you are and your interests. So 
you definitely strike me as the type of person that you get excited about things. So other designers that are similarly get very excited about things, they want to just have a whole bunch of different levers to play with and they get really excited about it. Whereas me personally, I am all efficiencies. So in my perspective, if I'm going to create 10 different interactions in a game and I'm going to toss eight of them after the play test, mentally I view it as not being worth my time. So I'd rather just take two and try the two. Maybe I throw both of them away, but I can, in my mind, I can more easily justify the time on the two elements than on the 10 knowing that I'm, it might still turn out to be the same thing after a few rounds, but it's just my personality. So I wouldn't let people, I wouldn't let people force you to do something in a way you're not comfortable with, but do know that whatever you do and you, and you enjoy doing is the most important thing. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one thing that's so important is as you get better at a, as a designer, as you get more experience is you really start to understand the type of designer that you are and the things that you really like and the mechanisms you really uh, kind of lean towards and that kind of thing. And then I think you become, I think that's a huge step forward is when you really determine, hey, this is me. This is my style. I'm not trying to be the next Richard Launius, next Rob Davi, whatever. This is who I am and this is how I'm going to do this and this is how I iterate. This is my, my process. And so, hey, tell me about your process, Kirk. What is your process of iteration? Great question. So I'll say it from two perspectives. I'll say it from the perspective of a designer, and then I'll say it from the perspective of a developer. And I know those go hand in hand sometimes, but I'm currently doing some of both when I design a game from the ground up and then when I develop a game that I've signed from someone else. From a designer, when I am starting with a new design, I usually look at the very core experience that I want to create. And I'm prone to design from a theme perspective. I want our games to all have a strong theme tie-in. I would almost say, though, that it's more challenging to come up with working mechanics that fit in with a theme, but that's just how I generally approach them. So I usually come up with some sort of game mechanic that I think is at all related to the the theme. And so if there's a game we were working on for a time where we were trying to appease a monster... And I thought, well, what's a better way to appease a monster than to give him something? So there was basically an auction-like mechanic in the game where you were all trying to appease the monster by all offering him different types of goods. So that was where I started with the early playtest was that was the mechanic I was trying out and then had to add other pieces around it to make it work. And, of course, it didn't work, so you had to figure out what other pieces you add as building blocks So that might be how I start from a beginning design. If I'm a couple of designs in from iteration, what I usually have are some sort of checkpoints that I want to go from one point to the next point. I will, at this point, rather quickly look to find the the best bang for my buck as far as visual appeal so that it goes from being pen and paper to being something a little bit easier for players to pick up on. So usually what I do these days is my very first playtest is with blank cards inside of sleeves. And I take a Sharpie and I draw very rudimentary symbols and numbers and letters on the cards on the outside of the sleeve. And I play three to five playtests with it. And in between playtests, what I do is I take a 
dry erase marker and I erase the different Sharpie parts that are not working from playtest to playtest. If you don't know that tip, you can take anything that's got some sort of alcohol-based solution, completely draw on top of your Sharpie and wipe it off with towel or paper towel or napkin. And then I can write new things on there. So my very first versions of a game are just blank cards and sleeves with Sharpies and dry erase markers, and I can iterate rather quickly in my first few brainstorming sessions to get to hopefully a playable state. And if I am not at a playable state, then there's very minimal loss as far as my time for developing a prototype and as far as components go. I can just relatively quickly wipe off all the Sharpie and have a blank deck of cards to work with again. If it gets to the point that there's something sticking, then my next step is to rather quickly run through some sort of graphical layout on the cards, print those out generally in color, but you can also get by with black and white, and put those inside of those same card sleeves, and I leave blanks where I would put values for costs or strength or health. And I, again, with Sharpie on the outside of the sleeves, will fill those in. So then I'm not pigeonholing myself into this cost or then I need to cross it off three times and make it look ugly. I'll just have the layout of the card with values easily able to be changed with the Sharpie and dry erase marker process. So that's that doesn't tell you much about how the game is forming, but my basic process is now is about efficiencies. So I'm looking to get, make good looking prototypes as quick as I can without spending a lot of upkeep time on all the art development and make it a little bit more accessible for players still in between playtests. From that point forward, assuming that the game is still working, now most things I'm working with are done at this point, then I spend a little bit more time finding something that looks actually pretty. I use the Game Icon website, I think it's game-icons.net, I think, something like that. Download a few icons that are thematic or tie into the game, and I incorporate those into my layout find some free stock art or worst case, find something that's not free, but plan to get rid of it as soon as I can and print up something that looks a little bit nicer. And then at that point forward, there is a little bit more maintenance in between versions. If I'm going to plan to make changes since it's a little more disruptive to cross things out on the card itself, because there's already numbers there, numbers and letters. So that's a bit about how I do it from games that I design from the ground up. If you're looking from a developer perspective, though, I think you have to generally take a step back and probably try to do the pairing the fat a lot more to begin with. What do you like most about the game? Leave elements in the box on a future play test and just see if players ask about something that feels missing. One thing I like to do is to, I guess you could say if you have a game, you can divide it into modules where maybe you have seven different actions in like a worker placement game. Just cover up one of the actions in a game and see what happens when people play test it if they feel like they need to do something else. Sometimes people will ask about something and then I'll just reveal it and keep playing with that. But the development process for iterating with development is a little tricky than with art because you might have the art in a very different stage than you would have been doing it all along. So there is a lot more time that you need to put into making the game in the art state that you want it to be when you're developing it. So I'm not as efficient as getting up and running on that. So I usually just try to get as much mileage as I can out of the designer's prototype before I 
go wholesale and make my own version of it. All right, so you, you've mentioned a number of times efficiency and doing these things efficiently. Is there any kind of software that you use or any kind of thing uh, like that to kind of speed up this process? For sure. So you might want to do some Google searching for some of these later. I'll try to repeat them. If you don't have the money for things such as Illustrator, Photoshop, InDesign, and you're using things such as Inkscape or GIMP, there are some different tools that you can leverage effectively. One of them that I've used online that's free is called CardMaker. That is a open source software that sometimes is mentioned in design circles that is really helpful for creating card layouts rather quickly. I guess you could use it for other things such as punch boards, but I generally think starting with cards is always good, even with punch boards. The card maker has a fairly simplistic UI, but you can do a lot of things related to the what, what's called data merge functionality with an InDesign where you have a, a spreadsheet. Maybe it's a Google document spreadsheet or Microsoft Excel, and you can type in all your card information on each row. It's a different card. So if I have four action cards, I have four different rows in the document and I can put the different information that's there to try to avoid being too technical. Each individual piece of information on the card, maybe it's the cost of something or the strength of something, you would put that in a different column with A, B, C, D in the spreadsheet. And then anytime you need an image, you would also put a different column in there as well. So this concept works very well also with InDesign with a data merge functionality. So if you're already paying for InDesign or you're willing to pay for a $30 plus tax per month package there, that works. And you can also do this with the Game Crafters new software called, uh, I'm going to blank on what it's called right now. Something studio, isn't it? Component studio. That's right. So you have I think there are several other options, but those are three different options that all use the same spreadsheet format. And I think this is really helpful to get up and going is uh, maybe don't tell your boss this, but if you're at work and you're just daydreaming about your game design, it's really innocuous to type up your cards you're working on in Microsoft Excel because it looks like you're doing spreadsheet work. Yeah, it looks so like I'm you're not, working. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm not trying to make you less productive at sure. work, but if you're like me, and you have an idea, it's worth taking the two minutes to write it down, and then I'm less distracted at work. Whereas if I don't write down the thing, I'm going to be very anxious and distracted for the next hour, like a squirrel at work, so I need to just write it down. <laughs> so you can be making your spreadsheets with your cards much at work, and then you can, over your lunch break or at home, then import it and make your cards look a little nicer. But Component Studio is pretty easy to find in Adobe InDesign is easy to find. So those are the, the three tools that I would recommend for your updating cards from version to version. Then other nice thing about doing that is when you're working, and I would recommend using your Google spreadsheets for this, is you can work with co-designers or people that are helping you with the design rather easily. I do this right now with uh, our designer, Stan Kordonsky, on one of our games is he suggests new powers or special abilities and he just adds those as new rows to the spreadsheet. And then when I have time, I, I go check them out and I, we have comments and we edit them back and forth. It's, it's a fairly efficient way to work collaboratively on a project on updating your game assets. 
by using a Google spreadsheet. So I'd recommend using that. I think most people use Google software for some iterative team projects, and I think it's really helpful. Yeah. Any other software that you would recommend? If you're not using any sort of graphical layout program, you really should. So this is independent of, I shouldn't say graphic layout, If you, some sort of graphic creation program. GIMP is free or you pay for Photoshop or maybe you have some sort of other program. You will want some sort of way to modify images. I mean, I guess you can get by with PowerPoint or paints. I know some people are really efficient at those programs. I quickly decided I would pay for Photoshop and learn to get better in there, but you don't have to do that route. I'm pretty cheap generally. <laughs> I try to penny pinch, so I understand people that don't want to go that route. The first year of game design, I only paid for Photoshop the months that I needed to at the $30 per month pop, but now a couple years in, I pay for the full Adobe Suite each month, but it took me a year and a half before it got to that point. The, the main reason you want to do that is to have some sort of graphical software is then you're not reliant on the the sizing of the images that you're downloading from the internet. And I think probably most people listening are comfortable using some sort of graphic software and, and they understand the importance of that. But if you're not, I encourage you to consider downloading something to save yourself some time. Yeah, something I use is Canva which is an online-based thing. It's free, and they've got some kind of, if you want more functionality, you can pay 10 bucks a month or something like that. And it's it's super simple. It is a WYSIWYG kind of program where, you know, you, you're taking icons, you're moving them around, and it's super easy. And so that's actually, or that's, that's more my level. Like learning Photoshop and InDesign, I, it's, it's not going to happen. And so I like Canva, which is just canva.com. And that's, that's the one I use. And I just... Um, put in the templates that I get off the Game Crafter and plug those in, and then I can uh, just kind of create the cards or boards or anything that I need with that. So any other software? Any other things that people need to know about? Sure. Well, this is really leveling up your game if we want to talk about some of the nuts and bolts of this. So this is less on game design theory, and this is more on efficiencies within game design. And side note, in case you haven't picked up on this, my personality is this way about just trying to make everything more efficient. My day job is all about reducing the amount of time people spend doing reporting tasks. So I am tasked with this reporting task takes this many hours, make it take a lot less. So that's what I'm all about. I'm always looking to save time. So if you're really looking to level up your game design iterative flow, this is my today's best understanding of how to do this subject to change tomorrow but <laughs> and once it's subject to change i'll be glad to save time but today what i do is i design all of my card text and abilities as i mentioned in google spreadsheets each tab or worksheet within there is for a card type of a certain size so if i'm using poker size cards a given tab is all my poker cards if i'm using mini cards I have a separate tab for all the mini cards and then each size token that I have is also on a different side. So if using the game crafter right now, one game we're working on, I have a sheet for poker cards, mini cards, one inch size tokens and 0.75 inch size tokens. Some of them are circles, some of them are squares, but regardless, it's still going to be on the same size slug. So if you don't know these terminology from game crafter, I apologize. And then it, I fill out all the columns that I need in there when you're ready to go you download the spreadsheet as a csv or a comma separated value file 
and it only lets you save it for the current sheet. So if you have two different sizes of cards, you'll have to download it twice. Then I save that file somewhere on my computer in a folder, and in that same folder, I put all of the assets or the art images that need to go along with that file. So if I have a an arrow image, I might have an arrow.png image that I've downloaded from the internet. That image will be in the same folder as the downloaded CSV file. And then I open up my InDesign program. Now you can also do this with that card maker or you can upload this to the component studio. But for me, we're using InDesign. Then I go in InDesign and set up the basic layout for the card. If it's a poker size card, you'll do yourself well to just save a template for the 63 by 88 with your three millimeter bleed on each side. So then you can quickly open that. And then you do a, a couple basic layouts of where you want text to be and where you want different images to be. So if you're familiar with InDesign, this should be fairly straightforward is you just create different text boxes or you create different, uh, just different rectangle shapes on the card and you drag them around and then you can use what's called the data merge functionality and there's a really great YouTube video by Daniel Solis from a couple of years back this is how I learned how to use the functionality if you go search that big shout out to him you can link in all of the text elements and all of the image assets into your layout rather quickly I'm not going to spend time describing exactly how that works because his tutorial does it rather well then you can merge through each row within your spreadsheet will line up with all of your assets that you have in the file and then you can save them as PNGs or PDF files whatever you need so if you're going to upload them to GameCrafter to print them you might be saving them as PNG maybe if you're trying to do something different you can use a different format but this is where you might want to use another level of software that I didn't explain that I found this really nifty tool called the bulk rename r-e-n-a-m-e -E, utility and there's probably a lot of programs that do this but basically if you export a bunch of images when i say images each card is your image so, the other way around each image file is a card that you've created they're going to be numbered sequentially by default from most of the programs you export from it'll be just like one two three four and sometimes that's not going to be very helpful so if you need to do some sort of bulk renaming, then I would advise using a program like that because you can avoid having to manually change the name of every single image. And what I'm talking about is there are, if you're doing four different card types that are poker size and it's going to export them all at once, you might want to create some sort of labeling for yourself so you know what's what when you're uploading it to GameCrafter or you're just printing off a batch of those. <clears throat> Uh, bulk rename utility is my favorite. If you have questions on that, you can ask me. I'm learning that program pretty well. Beyond that, then you're deciding what your next need is. Usually printing at home or at work or FedEx or whatnot, you would do well to set up another template file. I recommend just doing it in the same program that you're doing your card basically out. So if you're doing it in design, you just create a file that is set up to have nine cards for poker size cards side by side and then you can link in nine images and you can within five minutes or so set up a file that will link to the count of cards that you have so this would actually defeat the purpose of that bulk rename utility sometimes if you just want to make it pretty straightforward you export it and your cards are let's just say you have 
30 cards, <clears throat> or I needed a number with nine. Let's just say you have uh, 63 cards. So you have seven pages, seven times nine, 63. You, you could just have all, all your exported images that are cards and they will numbered one through 63. And then you go and set up that layout file where each page is number one through nine and they link into those image files. Then from that point forward, if you're seeing what I'm seeing explaining here is that you'll have nine pages or seven pages with nine cards on that you can print and cut out however you'd like. If I make any changes to the cards going forward, it only takes me about one minute, maybe two minutes to have new print ready files. All you got to do is go in your spreadsheet if you're updating your values and drop in new values. Maybe I want to make cards cheaper or have new special abilities. And then you go through and you re, redo the data merge functionality in InDesign. And then once all the image files are saved, you can open up the InDesign file that links in all your named cards, number one through 63, into the seven pages. And then you can export that as image files to print. The only thing that takes a lot of time is if you're going to materially change the layout. So let's say you decide I'm going to add a new attribute to a card. Maybe it's a fighting game and previously I only had attack and defense and then I decide to add speed to my card. So I need to go in my basic card layout file and add a new part of the images to show where you put your new attribute. That takes a little more time and would take more than the two minutes I said but assuming that you're not just completely changing your layout and you're just updating values and updating your images, getting nicer looking images, it doesn't take very long from version to version. Now, I said that quickly and maybe that's overwhelming to some of you, but trust me when I say that I've literally on a single game design saved myself from 10 to 15 hours worth of manual work creating each card file between my first game and three or four game designs that are just scrapped and our next game we're publishing, each game I've saved myself so many hours of work doing this process. It is worth setting up this type of process early on when you are pretty sure you want to spend time on a game design because you'll save yourself a lot of headache on making revisions to things when you are trying to balance the different cards. Gotcha. So, you know, that little bit of a process at the beginning, you know, a little bit of time you have to spend at the beginning, but it saves you a ton of time on the back end. All right, so let's step back from the technical talk and let, let's kind of go a little bit more general concept. Let's talk about the, the process of going from playtest to iteration, right? And so what would you tell somebody sure. that's, you know, they're in the middle of a playtest, they're taking notes. What, what do you take notes on? What, what, how do you take those notes and turn them into the next iteration of your game? Great question. So I should say that, yeah, I hope I'm not uh, overwhelming some of you. If you have questions on this, I'd, I'd love to talk with you about how to do this. As I mentioned, I, I love this type of stuff. Maybe some of you are overwhelmed, but this stuff is, is my, it's my jam. Yeah. Go well, from, I, like, well, go, real quick. I know you're, you're actually, you're, you're probably overwhelmed, overwhelming some, but you're talking somebody else's language. Like you're speaking right to them. And so, but I too, if somebody wants to get in contact with you, how can they, uh, how can they find you on Twitter or what's your best, best way? Best way would just be to email me, but you could also reach out on Facebook Messenger or Twitter. Games, G-A-M-E-S, games plural, at peacekeepergames.com. That's a play on words, like a game piece. P-I-E-C-E, peacekeepergames.com. 
or if you just look for Kirk Dennison on Google, I believe my Board Game Geek profile is the first thing that comes up. Gotcha. So that's if you want to talk to Kirk and get some more uh, background or info on this stuff. All right, but now now answer my question. Keep going. <laughs> to go from playtesting to the next level of iteration, that's a great question. Some people are really dutiful about recording the number or letter of a given card on each playtest, which I think is a really helpful tip. So if you have a lot of different unique cards you would do well on your iterative development to put that number, even in very small print on maybe the bottom left, bottom right of the card. Matt Saunders, for example, is one designer that does this on his designs, and I know a lot of other people do too. So when a playtester says, this card is broken, this card is weak, or you notice that there's a, a wrong wording on the card, you don't have to spend very much mental energy recording exactly which card it is. You just write down the number of the card and say, number three, rework. Compared to if it's looking at it and say, oh, I need to look at, oh, it's Joe Smith, my character. And it's, it's you're not able to write in shorthand as quickly. So if you've got a lot of different unique cards, you do well to label them with one through however many, or maybe you do A1, A2, come up with some sort of numbering convention. The other thing in general would be to, if you're trying to iterate things, is to figure out how many things need to be substantially reworked as far as graphics or layout goes and which things can get by for a while. If you're not convinced that <clears throat> your card layout is going to, to be what it's going to be long-term, I wouldn't spend as much time changing it each round if you can get by with what you had before, if it's still functional, and only change the layout of things that need to be changed. So I'm all about removing cards or adding cards that need to be added, but I'm not a big fan of going in and just making it look really, really pretty between each iteration. I'd keep what you've got until you're ready to do the next larger graphical pass on it. So if the layout is a deterrent to playtesting success, then you should make changes. Otherwise, I just stick with what you have for layout between sessions. All right. And so a lot of what we've been talking about is this idea of the MVP, the minimum viable prototype. Right. And just getting, you know, just whatever you can get onto the table. Don't worry about the art necessarily until you're really ready to, to do the whole thing. Any other tips and tricks you found as far as getting uh, that that MVP, getting that thing on the table, getting that it, next iteration? Because the quicker you can do it, the more likely you are to do it. If you have this giant bear of a prototype to make and it's going to take you forever, you, you might not do it at all. And, it, and, and you're definitely going to procrastinate, not, you know, not do it anytime soon. So any tips and tricks? Sure. One way you would do that is to re reuse your process you've already built for a previous game. So this builds off of it. You would want to put in the sunk time to building that layout for a game. I would say if you don't have a game idea in mind that's going to work perfect for this, maybe you should just build a, a generic template and plan to use it for most of your games going forward. And what I mean by this is, if you can picture with me, divide an imaginary card into just several basic blocks you have an area in the bottom middle that would have any special ability you have an area on the top maybe the top left that has some sort of numbers or icons related to that card specifically and maybe you have one or two other areas on the card like a title space 
maybe even bottom right, there's another space for icons or values. And what you can do is just block out those areas on the card and make those things correspond to different columns in your spreadsheet. So then when you go from game one to game two, you don't have to spend much energy on updating your templates. You just borrow from what you've had. What You'd have to kind of cheat the system sometimes that if you have two values you care a lot about for a card, maybe it's your offense and your defense, you might do you know, five comma four or five slash four, whereas in the other game you may have just put five. So you make sure those spaces that you're allocating on your layout are large enough that they could account for multiple characters. So minimum viable product, that would be the easiest way to do it. I usually open up some other design project that I've built that has cards with a similar layout, and I just straight copy the files, make a new folder, and then start changing the, the, the CSV file and uploading the images I find. Awesome. Well, Kirk, man, this has been really inside a lot of, a lot of kind of more in-depth uh, information in, in this episode. Any other like closing advice any, for anybody that's really working through that iteration process? Anything you'd tell them right now? I would generally say to focus on where you are as far as a designer or a publisher. So I think most of the audience you we're talking to is probably more on the design side. So I would not focus a lot, and I think people will encourage you to do this across the board, is not focus a lot on what the final look will be, but really focus on, on functionality. As a publisher, I look at a lot of prototypes and I, I'm i generally not super impressed by nice looking art because I, I'd i rather just have a really fun game. So for your mental sanity, I'd rather you just have a, a really compact mechanically game rather than it looking really great. So I would, if you're doing this process, it's all about being able to update your special abilities and your costs rather quickly rather than needing to rewrite 20 cards every single time. I wouldn't focus on finding the best looking art. Awesome. Kirk, man, again, really appreciate you coming on the show. You've got a uh, Kickstarter coming up here pretty soon. You want to talk about that for a second? Sure. Our second release is called Gearworks. It's a steampunk strategy card game with a twist on area control. The brief elevator pitch would be basically a Sudoku style game with a steampunk theme. You are tinkerers in a workshop trying to fix a broken clockwork machine you earn parts and build fantastical contraptions it's for two to four players plays in 30 to 45 minutes and it will hit kickstarter on november 14th awesome sounds great man good luck with that uh, we're about to head over into a bonus round we're going to talk about how to dominate a playtest convention kurt goes to a, a good number of playtest cons and umpubs and those kind of things so we're going to get his uh, thoughts and ad advice on how to dominate one of those but kirk again appreciate you coming on the show good luck with everything everything you got going on thank you gabe good luck with yours too thanks for listening find all sorts of game design resources bonus material and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com and until next time keep designing keep play testing and keep creating great games did i mention keep play testing